Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, episode number 80. Dave, how are you doing? We're still socially distanced here. We are. It feels like it's been a long time since the last podcast, but I think it has been. Podcast, how long has it been since the last one? I'm just curious. It feels like we've just been. Uh, I can negative. look that up for you, but I, I kind of feel like we might have missed the month of May. <laughs> I right. think we might have missed the month yeah. of May, and it was... It was kind of a busy, oh man, did we miss a month of May? We were, we were on it doing one April 14th, but wow. geez, we, I, I'm going to blame tax time, even though we don't do taxes or anything. We just, we had a lot of, you know, client meetings, contacts, stuff like that right around tax time. I think, so, I think we just had a lot of client meetings and stuff like that. And we got a little lost on that. And part of it is, and maybe we'll start to actually go back to the office at some point. Well, um, I mean, like, I don't mean just meeting clients. I mean, you and I. And right. I think we'll end up doing a lot more podcasts just because of that. But I guess that's all of America, maybe starting after the summer. So all of America, we're kind of like this, too. We still want to have our actual summer since we've all been in COVID. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody is sort of in this state of flux right now where, um, you know, I know my wife's office, she works for the Department of Justice. They're talking about maybe after Labor Day doing some sort of phased bringing people back and then maybe hopefully by 2022, you know, everybody could be back. But who really knows? It's kind of hard to predict these things. Yeah, um, well, I think once Labor Day is over, I think – we will be ready to start our new, we're past the summer. Yep. Everybody who's vaccinated will want to see us if they want to. <laughs> and we'll all be vaccinated and everything will sunk in since we're already all vaccinated. Yep. And we should be good for whatever our new normal is. Although I thought that our old normal will be the new normal. We always work this, you know, like at least I could speak for you and I. We go to different offices occasionally. Sometimes we do some work from home. Sometimes yeah. we're, you know, in one office the whole day. Sometimes we're in no office. Right, back and forth. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if the new normal will be any different for us. Hey, you have another thing I want to touch on before we actually start the podcast. Uh huh. I'm, I'm sure that first part was all edited out already. The other part I want to talk about. <laughs> I don't is, really edit, edit unless it's really. 
I don't think you or I, either of us, have ever dropped the curse or anything. But <laughs> if we've ever said anything oh, no. that might be considered offensive, then we've dropped, we've cut it. But I don't cut stuff out just because it's boring. I know. I just was joking because that was so boring. But this is also <laughs> somewhat boring, but at least it will be a historic landmark for someone listening. Sometimes okay. I've sat outside and done these with you. I yep. could not do that today. The cicadas are so loud where I am. <laughs> are they loud where you are? I mean, it is oh, yeah. a loud cicada day. So Incredibly are you loud. at – you're not at the beach then, right? Because you don't have no, them No, I'm back home now. Okay. Yeah. I'm back yeah. home. Cicadas yeah, are the beach, there are none at the beach. Zero. There is nothing wow. there. That's so weird. And I, I I was just in my sister's place in Virginia and she lives out in Haymarket, Virginia, and I don't know if it's where she is or because it's new construction. They don't have any out there. You know, but really? I've got a, a sister in law in Falls Church and she's got a million of them. So I you know, who knows? It's that's very strange. Yes, I could also not be outside today because of cicadas, because they are very loud around us. We have a lot of trees, especially in front of our house. So, all right. So, we are doing, all right. So, we are doing indoor cicada-free podcast here today. Um, and we did and have... Cicada, next time we'll even talk about this will be 17 years from now. I'll still be working at Capital Retirement Strategies at 77. <laughs> I think at that point we're going to be gently hinting that maybe it's time to retire, Dave. <laughs> but maybe at that point, Eric Murray and or Emma Kiliani will be uh, looking to take over the business here. Yeah, exactly. That's, and they could do a cicada podcast. Not to not to play favorites among my children, but as as you start to understand their different personalities, skill sets, abilities desires, likes, things like that. I have pegged my middle daughter as one, the most likely she is interested in money in finances. That stuff fascinates her at age nine. So I've kind of pegged her for, you know what, if one of them wants to go into business, that's going to be the one to do it. Cool. I may, I may actually coordinate my slowing down semi-retirement with her coming into the business, which would be at the very earliest, 13 years from now. Yeah. So. Um, also, you've told me stories about her. I think personality-wise, she may also fit this business. Yeah. From a couple of sure. the stories you've told me. Yep. Um, all right. So we actually have a ton of stuff if we want to get to it all today. Uh, and obviously, it's up to us, so we can go as long as we want. But the first thing I wanted to start off with, Dave, was that article that you sent to me. This was the USA Today article, Five Big Money Risks in Retirement. And, of course, we, we all know that we see these types of articles all over the place. They're very good, these lists, very good at getting us to click on them and look at them. And some of them are garbage. And this one actually, you know, I thought was, was a pretty good one here. So let's go down the list, and you can add whatever thoughts you have on this. Um, they had number one. Um, you know, big money risks in retirement, withdrawing money big early in retirement. And clearly this is a big risk. And we've talked about this. Anybody who's come to one of our seminars or sat down and met with us, we've talked about this risk of taking a lot of money, taking too high of a withdrawal rate out of your portfolio can really endanger your portfolio down the line. And what yeah. we see are people who are 65 years old, 
uh, reasonable retirement age and their brother-in-law or their friend or whoever told them, you know what, you should be able to take six or 7% off of your portfolio. And based on this <laughs> advice, they do that. And the problem with such a high withdrawal rate, I'm, I know it might not seem like that high, but the problem is that you have one negative year, certainly two negative years in the market, you're just never going to recover from that. And another issue right now with that is that you can be suckered into thinking it's okay to do yeah. that. You know, without oh. going through the whole explanation, an 8% withdrawal rate is your, your money's not going to last very long. Right. But you've done okay the last couple of years with the way the stock market's been doing. You could have of taken course. that 8% and say, hey, I haven't you know, gained money and taken 8%. Of course. And that's... I remember in our, in our seminar, I used to do a, uh, this is before our big, the big stock market boom, but I used to do, uh, years ago, remember I talk about how, uh, right before the tech bubble, yep. you could have taken, you know, 8% and made money in 1999 and you'd be all out of money if you kept taking 8% and your money was invested in the S&P, you'd be all out of a million dollars in 11 years. Right. Yep. And that's... <laughs> You hit on precisely why it's a problem is because it works until it doesn't work. So it, you know, it would work for several years and you'd say, Hey, I'm golden. This is great. And then you have that bad stretch in the markets and, and it's not going to work and it's all going to blow up in spectacular fashion there. Not to mention make you move out of the stock market because you're freaking out once it's going down, which is also the kiss of death. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the double whammy. You know, what, what you're saying there is, so not only are you, you know, let's take you back to the year 2000, that example that you go through. And, you know, between the year 2000 and 2002, the stock market lost money in three consecutive years there for, I think it was a cumulative total of around 49%. So you lost money for three years in a row which is bad enough, but then what people also did is they took any remaining money that they had in the stock market and put it into safe investments. You know, so not only did you lose money going down, but you took anything you had in the market, pulled it out because you were freaking out, and now you failed to participate in any of those big growth years, you know, on the rebound there. Right. All right. So number one, you withdraw too big early in retirement. Uh, number two, not recognizing inflation risk. So inflation risk has clearly been the the number one topic, concern, whatever you want to label it as, uh, with investing in Wall Street lately. And, you know, we've seen this where reports come out and they say, okay, uh, the price of, you know, materials has increased. Um, you know, it looks like inflation is picking up. No, it's not picking up. You want to get that, Dave, or? Uh, no, it's not for me. <laughs> I figured it's not. <laughs> um, I don't even know who. I guess nobody else it. in your house wants to get it either, right? No, because, well, I don't need to go into the reasons for that. <laughs> that is not something that's going to be important. But my wife is busy right now. Yeah, and it's um, not. It's not protecting the nuclear codes or anything. But okay, <laughs> so. Inflation is clearly uh, a risk people are thinking about, and that makes sense. When we've had all of this stimulus money, we've had all this Federal Reserve action, 
you pump all this money into the economy, you're printing money. Inflation is certainly a, a distinct possibility. Now, as I point out to people, we're not the only ones that know this. You know, the Federal Reserve and a lot of other people know this as well. So they are going to do what they can to try to combat that. But there's no guarantee they'll be successful. So where I see the biggest risk of people not recognizing inflation risk is when they keep money in safe assets. And that it feels sort of counterintuitive saying, well, I'm being safe. I'm keeping money in a bank account. But if you think about you've got money in a bank account earning half a percent, if you're lucky, if inflation is running at 5%, you just very safely lost 4.5% of your purchasing power. Right. And it, it feels safe because you didn't have that risk of the stock market or the bond market or whatever else, but you are slowly losing your purchasing power. Yeah, it shows up a lot when we're meeting with clients and we're showing them long-term projections, 20, 30 years. Uh, that kind of risk shows when you show a conservative portfolio and, and how much you're actually going to make on that compared to inflation and how yeah. it affects what you could spend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, that's why we always try to make that case, even for the most conservative clients that they need to have some form of, of stock market exposure. And, you know, there are different ways to accomplish this. Obviously, just investing in stocks is one way, but there are other ways where you can invest in assets that have some returns linked to the market. So you can potentially get some growth that might beat out inflation or, or frankly, even just keep pace with inflation there. Yeah. I mean, nowadays... You know, and that's one of the things I guess it's changed is that there are just products out there that you could that can make a conservative investor feel pretty good uh, and still get some sort of tie into the market. As we as maybe they should call all of those inflation hedge investments instead of whatever they're called. <laughs> right. But you know, at least the products are out there to be explored for some people. Yep. Uh, number three, underestimating, underestimating health care costs in retirement. Um, so, you know, I don't know the statistic off the top of my head, but I know, you know, we've seen things like the average retiree at 65 will spend 200 and some thousand dollars out of pocket for health care in retirement. And I don't think that those statistics even typically include long term care. Um, so that's usually kind of a level don't. beyond that. No, they don't include the long-term care. So this article addresses the long-term care, and they address it like almost every general financial planning argument does in very general terms, but they always throw out the 70% thing, which is if you make it to 65, you have a 70% chance of needing long-term care, and they throw out that it's expensive. But what's interesting and I look at these general articles as long-term care insurance changes, and it'll be interesting. Once we get back to full-throttle normal business practices, the difference between when the real world ended in March of 2020 and then let's say when the real world really gets going again in, say, September of 2021, in the long-term care insurance business, things have changed a lot. Very, very few choices of traditional plans. The hybrid plans are now the main players out there. They're expensive. 
no matter which way you slice it, you have to have, as a general rule with these hybrid plants, a big, fairly big chunk of money to set aside. So So when when you talk about, Dave, when you talk about the hybrid plans, you're talking about a hybrid between life insurance and long-term care insurance, right? Right, right, which offers things like a death benefit. You know, and it's, there are some positives. It offers the, the ability if you die and never use it, you get money back, uh, versus in a traditional plan, if you don't use it, oh well, you pay an annual premium or, or whatever, a monthly premium, and it's like, more like health insurance. But the bottom line is, it's more for, you know, it's more for people who would be working with a financial advisor whose net worth is at least a million dollars. Not for, Everybody. Um, and within that, now when you look at long-term care, these general articles, you know, a lot, I'm not surprised they didn't really mention long-term care insurance, but they do mention, and I wanted to run this by you, saving money in an HSA for your yeah. long-term care expenses. And that, I looked at that with a sort of just reading, I made a quizzical look with and squunched up my eyebrows. <laughs> that was your detailed analysis on that? That was my um, first reaction, and when I and I think you know why. Well, I mean, hey, that's great. I mean, we we don't talk a whole lot about HSAs. Um, you know, a lot of people in this area, you know, they have pretty good health insurance. They don't have the high deductible plan, Dave, that I know you have the pleasure of having. Um, so so they don't have the ability to save into one of these HSAs. Um, but if you do, it's a phenomenal retirement savings vehicle um, because you get a deduction for the money you put in. Um, so I don't even know what the family maximum is up to. What is it? 7,000 or 7,500? More than that. Like that. Yeah. More than that? Like 75, 7,600 last year, I believe. Okay. So you, you get a deduction. The money grows tax deferred. And if you take it out for healthcare costs in retirement, it comes out tax free. So it's the only thing where you get a deduction up front. And the money comes out tax-free because if if you know the way that traditional in Roth IRAs work, um, you know you either get one or the other, either the deduction up front or you know you get it out tax-free on the other end. So the HSA is great, but it's just it, it, you know first of all, you not everybody has access to one, so you you know you can't count on being able to save into it. And secondly, if you talk about saving into that to pay for long-term care insurance. You're just talking about a tiny drop in the bucket compared to the potential expense. Um, right. You know, so that's that's what I thought. Well, first of all, yeah, not everybody. I, I'm an HSA person because of my situation, but that is not the norm. Most people right. aren't self-employed and in this, you know, situation where the HSA is just a no-brainer, especially yeah. with the new tax code, actually. Um so, okay, so I'll say I, I can still get this HSA and, and still stick 5000 in it and not even use the money for regular health expenses, right? I'm yep. just sort of sticking it in it, using the rules the best I can. And over 20 years, I've saved $100,000, right? Yep. And let's say I've made money on that, too. So let's make it whatever. Let's make it $140,000 is in there. Okay. Um. Okay, that's going to be basically 20 years from now, that'll probably be about eight months of care. Yeah, the average you know, person spends between three and five years needing long-term care services if they need it. That plan doesn't really work. It doesn't really protect my assets against, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it better than... It's not like a plan. It's not really... It sounded great in an article, but when you yeah, actually it, break down the numbers, it makes no sense. It doesn't access, solve the whole you, problem. The point you brought up, access is another excellent point. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's great to do that, but you probably, if you're affluent, need to do that in addition to having some sort of long-term care insurance. Well, I was going to say now, so the real answer is if you have the assets and you're in a situation, you still have to look at long-term care insurance. It's not changed. In fact, the Mm -hmm. risk has become greater as time has gone on, not less. Yeah. Um, And it's always going to be that way as we live longer and longer. But you do have to now continue to look at these long-term care insurance options, and they're just going to cost more. People always say, well, should I I have done this five years ago? Yeah, hell yeah. All right. been preaching this for 20 years. You should have done it 22 years ago when I was preaching it. And yep. one person came to my seminar or 10 <laughs> years ago or whenever. It's always you should have done it. But it's still now is the same thing. If you can do it, you should do it. problem now is some people can't do it. Um, but still, you know, honestly, still a lot of people, if you're still in that net worth category of uh, a half million dollars starting there, I would say net worth a half million dollars or higher, you should be able to put together some sort of long-term care insurance plan if you're healthy enough and, you know, at a reasonable age, let's say 50s, 60s. Right. Um, and even 70, it depends, you know. <clears throat> okay. Uh, number four on our list here, once again, this is off uh, USA Today, five big money risks in retirement you should know and prepare for now. Number four, I think is sort of a restatement of number one, but it's worthwhile restating it because it's so important, which is outliving your assets. So if you remember, number one is withdrawing big early in retirement. Um, it, you know, to me, why I say that's the same thing is, well, it's not a big deal withdrawing big early in retirement if you're going to live for five years in retirement. Um, it's only a big deal if you're going to live a long time in retirement and you're worried about outliving the money. Um, now, you know, whenever we're working with someone, obviously this is something we want to look at. Our, you know, our base age of mortality is 95 for most people, but we adjust that based on family history and somebody's personal health and things like that. And then when we're looking at that, how do we deal with this longevity? Well, I'll tell you the, the safest way to deal with longevity is to have a nice big inflation adjusted pension. So, you know, if, if which we kind of chuckle because that's not something you can easily control, um, right? That that has to do with where you worked for the last however many years, um, whether or not you have one of these big inflation-adjusted pensions, which are pretty rare nowadays. Um, but that's where we take a look and say, okay, you worked for the federal government for the last 40 years. You're going to have this big pension. You know, outliving your assets is less of a concern there because, you know, worst case scenario, you're going to have that income coming in, plus maybe Social Security coming in. You know, is it a risk that you run out of your investments? Yeah, but the worst case scenario is that you still always have those pension assets. Yeah, well, go ahead. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, contrast that to someone who doesn't have a big pension, is just counting on Social Security, Uh, And, you know, and of course, there are risks there that Social Security could be means tested or it could be, you know, a variety of things that might limit your benefits. And you don't have that pension and that risk of outliving your assets has just increased 
significantly depending on how much of a withdrawal you're taking. Yeah, when we start up our seminars again, and I think we've already decided that we're going to do them in person again, back to normal or some version of normal. Um, you know, this, and look at post-COVID. All this, and I don't know if this is a crazy theory, but it's, it, I feel it's true. This RNA technology, the way they're able to sort of deal with COVID, and now there's, if you read a, a bunch of articles about health and how they're going to be able to use versions of this technology to get at other diseases like cancer right. and other things. And, you, and it all makes sense as exponentially, um, you know, science gets better and better at this. And, and I think COVID was a great example of it. We're going to to not plan to live longer and just see what you see around you. You see many, 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 many people who are fairly healthy. They must be perfectly healthy living into their mid-80s. You yeah. just do. Um, and then, of course, longer than that. So to not plan for a 60-year-old to live to 95, it's a good default. If we're wrong, fine. But more and more, we're getting closer to that, to that 90. Yep. And your money's got to last. And you're not working for a long time. And you're right. Having a pension's awesome unless you don't have one. <laughs> and that's, I think that's what our seminars are more important for. We have tons of clients with pensions, and we've done, I think we've done great work for them, and they have more money, you know, I feel for with working for us than they would have. But is, was it a desperate need for those clients with the pension? Right. I wouldn't say it's a desperate need. Is it a desperate need for those who don't have one nowadays? I think so. Yeah. Totally agree. All right, number five. On the five big money risks in retirement you should know and play, prepare for now, this one should come as no surprise to anyone who we've we've talked to or have listened to us recently, failing to plan for taxes. Um, you know, we have taken the opinion, had this opinion before COVID hit, but then I think COVID hitting and everything that transpired since then has made this even more um, important or obvious is, you know, failing to plan for higher taxes in the future. You know, if we take a look at where tax rates are right now, the federal income tax in this country has been around for a little bit over 100 years. And when we look historically at tax rates, we are in one of the lowest tax rate environments that we've ever been in. You know, so it's a very low tax environment right now. We, before COVID, had a very big national debt. With COVID, with all the stimulus and Federal Reserve action, and this was, you know, let's not blame one party or the other. You know, both parties were passing stimulus, and this, these things were absolutely necessary to help get the economy through this rough patch. But now our national debt is even higher. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we need to pay for in the future. So we need to plan or we should plan, at least hedge our bets a little bit, that tax rates might be higher in the future. And one of the best ways that we can do this is by doing Roth conversions. You know, so this is a conversation we've had with every meeting that we've had in the last six or eight months is, hey, is there an opportunity? Is there a situation where we should consider paying taxes at 22 or 24 percent? Because we expect in the future you're going to be at 28 or 32 or even higher 
than that. Um, and you know, it's, it's not always a case where you say, Oh my gosh, I'm going to convert a ton of money with a lot of clients. We're converting 20, 30, $50,000 and just saying, you know what? Let's diversify things a little bit, you know, pay some of those taxes. Now we're still going to be paying taxes at a higher rate later, but at least we've diversified things a little bit. Right. Yeah. And I would just throw in, there's so many other things that we do with every client that involve taxes and it's ever changing because the tax laws are ever changing. Well, and, and let me just throw in, you know, a couple of the comp complications slash considerations that, that we take into account here is, you know, one of the first things that we always look at, of course, is, you know, how much can we convert and which tax tax bracket will we be in with that conversion? So, you know, we're looking at, okay, well, we could convert another 30,000. We'll still stay in the 22% tax bracket. Eh, if we go a little into 24%, not a big deal. Um, but the other thing we want to consider is, does this affect your Medicare premiums? So if you're over 65 and you're enrolled in Medicare, you know that your income can uh, affect what you pay on your Medicare premiums. So, for instance, if you're over $176,000 in modified adjusted gross income, that can bump up your Medicare premiums. This right. is for married filing jointly. That can boost them up by 60 bucks a month per person. So, do we want to do that conversion? Sure, but let's be real careful about, you know, what, what effect that's going to have on Medicare premiums and obviously the tax brackets there. You know who was really smart a long time ago? Hmm. This is going to sound like blowing our own horn. You and me. I'll tell you what. <laughs> okay, <laughs> do like tell. You guys are blowing your own horn there. Well. Because we came up with the name of this firm 12 years ago, Capital Retirement Strategies, when all of these, all of the strategic work, and now we're just focusing on taxes, but there's so much else, wasn't really the big focus. It was more about, you know, more general growing assets, investments, Having right. enough retirement income. Um, yet that name is gonna, it, I think will, will hold true and be a, a good solid name for the franchise forever. Because as time goes on, it only becomes more important that you have retirement strategies in place and ongoing strategic work. Right. Versus just growing investments. No, that's a good point. I mean, that's, that's very much how the industry has been changing is, you know, you think back to 30 years ago when financial, quote unquote, financial advisors were very transactionally based. I call you up. I sell you ABC stock. You say yes or no, but, you know, buy, sell, whatever. Um, transitioned into, okay, I'm going to help you manage your money. That's great. To now a more holistic approach of, yes, I'm going to help you manage your money. But I'm also going to help give you advice on Roth conversions and withdrawal strategies and Social Security filing strategies and, you know, all of these things that kind of go hand in hand with all of that. Right. Um, all right. So I had the strange idea that this this topic was going to take us, Dave, like seven or eight minutes. So I came right. up with four other things to talk about. You're going to have um, to hold those. A, I yeah. think this podcast has gone long enough. B, I agree. And this is even, this is more information that nobody really cares about or needs, but I'm getting my first haircut with uh, my man Spiros <laughs> since the pandemic began. Shout out to Spiros. So I need to get there. Okay. Um, so 
So I guess the podcast is over. All right. Podcast is over. Thank you for joining us and we will, uh, we'll be sure to check in again soon.